Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha? How you feeling? Not, I, I feel I feel really good, man. It's a it's a great day here in in Omaha, Nebraska, as you call it, and uh, it's <laughs> it's good, man. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling great, man. It's I'm so glad you're back. We're back. Uh, I I always look forward, man, to an opportunity to chat it up with you and to tackle the topics uh, of the day. And so, man, I'm I'm glad we're back. Uh, glad you're here and looking forward to what we got in store uh, for our listeners here on Just Thinking. Yeah, man, we're back together for another episode of the Just Thinking broadcast. And before we delve into the topic that we're planning to discuss on this week's episode, I want to both thank you, man, and congratulate you for the excellent, outstanding job you did a couple of weeks ago. Mm. As you were left in the unenviable position. And I say that because I know how much you hate going solo i hate going solo bro but I you mean, were left I, I, in the i'll do it i'll do it i'll do what i gotta do to keep you it rolling ha, you have that's what we pay you to do man we right right you. right well I, I need i need my i need my current pay doubled man that's <laughs> <what>. <laughs> d- d- double zero still equals zero but you know it's all good i'll yeah, deal with what like, i deal with you know? like, like we get paid right <laughs> 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 no, nah, but you you were left in the unenviable position, man, of having to go solo while I was traveling on behalf of Grace to you uh, for a meeting uh, at a location that will be unnamed uh, mm-hmm. last week. And you took on the subject of abortion. And uh, that's an issue that those who have listened to the Just Thinking podcast for any length of time, they realize that that, that issue, that one is near and dear to your heart, brother, and has been for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And you did a masterful job. I mean, the feedback we've received on social media, via email, and through our through our, you know, podcast apps on iTunes, Android, other and, and by other means. I mean, they've been extremely complimentary of you in discussing that issue so comprehensively yet gracefully, man. So Amen. I just want to thank you, and you know, just take a moment to thank you again for being so willing to go solo, which again is no is something I know you hate to do. You would rather not have to do that. Yeah. But you handled that issue, uh, which is a very, very sensitive issue and is very controversial oftentimes. But you handled that topic through the lens of the truth of Scripture and with the grace of Christ and, and, and with the kind of grace that Christ would have had you present that topic. So Amen. thanks again man, for covering that ground on abortion. I mean, Absolutely. the response to that episode, brother, I mean, listen. It's been so overwhelming that we may have to break you off, man, and spin you off onto your own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Not even. You already know the answer to that for me. But it, it was it was uh, interesting, man, to see the feedback. I, I got a lot of inbox messages and folks that w- reached out, you know, in in a different way than they normally do with with our podcast. It's been awesome just to experience the response of the folks, man. And, and I know you hadn't, hadn't mentioned, probably had not planned on, on mentioning, man, we just crossed the, the 200 K mark for downloads for, for just thinking. And, uh, man, we're just humbled by the response of that. But, but, you know, even, even with that, we've, uh, 
I've gotten emails, inboxes, folks asking about abortion clinic ministry and what that's like and wanting to do things in their own area. And so, again, with the platform that, that God, by his grace, is allowing us to have uh, with just thinking, man, it, it's it's been an awesome ride, man, just seeing what, what God is, 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 is doing with this and where he's going with this. It's been a blessing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the fact that uh, the Just Thinking broadcast has now surpassed 200,000 downloads. Mm-hmm. And we were able to do that by God's grace in only 15 months. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, been awesome. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to dwell on that too much because what we're talking about doing just for the sake of our listeners is given that that's such a significant milestone for the podcast, we're thinking about maybe in our next episode, in a couple of weeks from now, maybe doing a special um, episode for the listeners just to give them some background about mm-hmm. how this podcast came together. We're thinking about yeah. maybe having the, uh, the brain trust, Mr. Dwayne Atkinson, the hardest working man in podcast land. No doubt. As I call him uh, on with us uh, and, and basically just going through the history of the, the podcast, how you and I came together. He, he'd be the first still, guest we've ever had, right? He would be, be the, the first, first guest. Yeah. yeah. He would be the first guest we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's true, man. That's a great point. Yeah. He mm-hmm. would be the first guest we've ever had. And basically just to give the listeners a bit of a history on how this all came together, which I think would be uh, even more interesting, Omaha, given the fact that you and I have yet to meet in person. Not not only that, not only that, I have yet to meet Dwayne in person. Wow. (laughs) First of all, that's crazy to think about, uh, given where we've been and what all we've been. We've kind of walked through. I, I think this one is 70. This is our 74th or 75th episode, I think. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, 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 me and Dwayne, I mean, either, either via social media, I mean, if I include social media and, and text messaging and all, I mean, we, we basically talk to each other almost every day. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, in some form or fashion, we communicate every day, every day. <laughs> so that's crazy to think about. And the other thing is, and, and I'll bring this up briefly, man, is, as we jump into what we're going to talk about tonight, the, um, the thought, the, the the thought that I have with regard to the fact we've we, we've done this in the way that we've done it, in the manner we've done it, not not, not really having met live and in person. And the, the other thing is that listeners, and we talked about this before we came on, listeners, or before we hit, hit record, listeners, brand new listeners are jumping into just thinking all the time. You know, I yeah. I have a tendency to kind of think that that everybody who's been a, been listening have been listening for some time. And that they're listening linearly. In other words, they're listening only to the next episode. Yeah. But in reality, there are different folks who are catching us at all different points in in the in the spectrum as far as our 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 content is concerned. And we get we gain new people every day. So I think that would be you know what you mentioned with having Dwayne on and maybe going through a little bit of history would be beneficial for for all those folks who who haven't been with us from the beginning and maybe are wondering how did this how did this thing happen? What all what all, how how did you all get to this point? So be great. Yeah. So that's what we're thinking about doing. I'm not going to promise the listeners that right now because we haven't finalized anything, but uh, given again that we've uh, surpassed such a significant milestone. And let me just say that with respect to that milestone is surpassing 200,000 downloads. uh, I I can say this though, you know, uh, Virgil, when you and I came together, we never, ever, ever. and, And even to this day, we never talk about statistics No, like that. no, we, that stuff, I mean, I couldn't care less. The only the only reason we're talking about it now 
is because it, it, because it's so amazing. Yeah, it's just so absolutely incredible mm-hmm. that folks actually listen to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. And and, so, and and some of the and some of the wonderful people that do. I mean, so I mean, so the 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 outreach. You know, I think like I like I've shared with you when I got on Twitter. Uh, now I think I maybe had 200 followers. Not not that not that the number uh, that yeah, I have now is understood. any significance, but but yeah, understood. But but just you know, just to see the outreach, to see folks who are listening, and and you know the folks that you you and I both respect, and uh, you know that that I've listened to for years to think that they're they're hearing our voice as we talk about these issues. It, it, it's it's humbling. Really, it's humbling. It's incredibly humbling. And uh, thank you to all our listeners, uh, longtime listeners, new listeners. We love all of you and we thank you all for your prayers and support. And we try to to do our best uh, to communicate that to you all. We realize that this is all God's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never saw uh, seriously. It was never our goal to do this for popularity or for growth in numbers. Uh, we're just motivated by a desire to bring the light of biblical truth mm-hmm. to these issues. Uh, and again, uh, we just thank you all for listening and taking your time with us. Uh, and, and and one thing I'll say about our listeners, Omaha, then we can get into this, the topic, is that the, the thing I appreciate about our listeners is that for the for the most part, they're serious about God's word. Yeah, that's they're right. serious about theology. They're serious about learning how to exposit the scriptures, how to dis, how to how to study the scriptures, how mm-hmm. to apply uh, the scriptures through a proper hermeneutical lens to these sociocultural topics that we talk about. Right. And uh, so, so, you know, I, I've come to to to, to uh, believe and, and, and uh, I say this in all seriousness, the Just Thinking broadcast is not for everybody. Mm. It's not for everybody. Uh, you know, most of our episodes go well beyond the normal <laughs> time limit. But that's because this is an expository podcast. This right. is an expository Medium. We we use this medium to ex, to to exposit the scriptures and exegete X and words, and uh, to to think that we have over two hundred thousand downloads now in only fifteen months. That tells me something about the seriousness which with, with which our listeners take God's word. So uh, thank you all for hanging in there with us, and by God's grace, Lord willing, maybe we'll be around for another two hundred thousand. Uh, downloads here pretty soon. So good stuff. Anyway, Omaha, any last words, man, before we dive into the topic for this week? Nah, man, I'm just, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to jump in. Let's get it. All right. So we're talking about in this episode of the Justing and Broadcast, the Equality Act mm-hmm. of 2019, or what should be more properly labeled the Inequality Act. Mm-hmm. Of 2019, but we're talking about the Equality Act of 2019. And I want to begin this episode with a quote from a 20th century British historian by the name of Arnold J. Toynbee. Arnold J. Toynbee, that last name is spelled T O Y N B E E. Arnold J. Toynbee. As a historian, Toynbee spent much of his academic life studying the rise and fall of human civilizations. And over the course of 27 years, from 1934 through 1961, Toynbee published a 12-volume series, which he entitled A Study of History. This is Arnold J. Toynbee I'm talking about. A Study of History, which he wrote 
over the period of a period of 27 years. Toynbee's goal in a study of history was to trace the development and decay of 19 world civilizations, detailing the five stages through which all great societies and civilizations pass, according to Toynbee. Okay, so these are the five stages, which, according to Toynbee, all great societies and civilizations pass through. Stage one is Genesis. Stage two is growth. Stage three, times of trouble. Stage four, the universal state. And lastly, stage five, which is disintegration. So Toynbee is arguing in a study of history that all great world civilizations go through those five stages, Genesis, growth, times of trouble, universal state, and disintegration. Now, according to Toynbee, civilizations start to decay when they lose their moral fiber. Okay? It was that reality that prompted Toynbee to conclude, and I'm quoting Toynbee here. Toynbee said that civilizations die from suicide, not murder. Civilizations die from suicide, not murder. So to repeat, Toynbee found that great civilizations started to decay when they began to lose their moral fiber. But the question becomes, what exactly does Toynbee mean by moral fiber? From where does mankind get the concept of moral fiber to begin with? Well, we know from scripture that this quote-unquote moral fiber, as Toynbee termed it, is inherent to every human being. We see this clearly in Romans chapter 1, and I'm going to read the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. Reading, of course, as usual, from (laughs) the non-Armenian standard Bible translation. Romans 1 Sorry, Omaha. I'm back. Sorry, do you think, man? You're back. You're back. I, I, I gave you room. I didn't even. I didn't say a word. I didn't even utter a sound. I just stayed in my corner. I let you do you. Go ahead. So Toynbee again. So Toynbee again is arguing that great civilizations, great civilizations rather, start to decay when they lose their moral fiber. So let's answer the question of where does that moral fiber come from? Paul writes in Romans 1, 18 through twenty. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That's the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Now, lest we forget the pronoun they at the end of verse 20 in Romans chapter 1, to whom this moral fiber has been imparted by God, includes you, Omaha, it includes me, It also includes every human who has ever been born, every human being who has ever been born. God has made himself clearly known to us through what has been made. Listen to what John MacArthur in his book, The Battle for the Beginning, 
Listen to what he says as he expounds on that very point. MacArthur says this, quote, when God made us in his image, he made us as persons. That is, he made us for having relationships, particularly with him. It is impossible to divorce this truth from the fact that man is an ethical creature. All true relationships have ethical ramifications. Mm -hmm. And it is at this point that God's communicable attributes come into play, marred though our moral and ethical sense may be because of humanity's fall into sin. MacArthur continues, we still know right from wrong in a basic sense. Even the most determined atheists still understand the concept of virtue and the need for morality. In fact, an inherent aspect of true humanity is moral sensibility. We know instinctively, MacArthur says, we know instinctively that there is a difference between good and evil. So in Romans 1, the Apostle Paul, without ambiguity, is declaring that, quote, that which is known about God, unquote, and the phrase known about God, I want to say as an aside, that phrase known about God includes an awareness of God's equitable standards of right and wrong. So Paul is saying here without ambiguity that that which is known about God is evident within each of us and that those principles and precepts are evident within us because God himself has made them evident within us. And that reality is what is referred to in Christian theology as natural revelation or general revelation. Mm -hmm. And we see the idea of God's natural revelation expressed in the words of Psalm 19.1, which reads, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. That God has revealed himself in creation is why, at the end of the day, no one can be a true atheist because natural revelation is so clear. John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, emphasized that point when he says this. Calvin said, God's essence, indeed, is incomprehensible, utterly transcending all human thought. But on each of his works, his glory is engraven in characters so bright, so distinct, and so illustrious that none, however dull and illiterate, can plead ignorance as their excuse. So Calvin is underscoring Paul's declaration in Romans 1 that none of us is without excuse with regard to, number one, our awareness that there is a God, and then number two, an innate awareness of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, and what is evil. So scripture is clear that none of us has an excuse to disregard the God-ordained boundaries within which he has ordained that we should live. And yet, in the stubbornness of our hearts, we continue to pride ourselves on doing exactly that, totally disregarding God's righteous and loving precepts and principles for how we are to live and conduct ourselves in this world. Let me read from 
Reformed Systematic Theology, Revelation, and God by Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. Beakey and Smalley write this, and again, I'm quoting from Reformed Systematic Theology, Revelation, and God. They write this, quote, man is part of God's creation. Indeed, he is the pinnacle of God's works on earth, Genesis 1. Therefore, God's general revelation through his created works also shines through the human race, and that in a heightened manner. Just as God's creation of man involved the image of God and man's moral obligation to obey God's law, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2, 15 through 17, just as God's creation of man involved the image of God and man's moral obligation to obey God's law, so general revelation in man involves our image-bearing and inner sense of divine obligation and accountability. That is, our divine obligation and accountability to obey God's law. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? Absolutely, man. I, <clears throat> I love what you did there. With I mean, you began with Toynbee um, and his evaluation of how societies and civilizations break down. And, and, you know, he goes from Genesis to growth to times of trouble, you, the universal state and disintegration. Well, why does that take place? That takes place not because of something out there in the ether. It takes place because of what is actually in the human heart and the human condition. Uh, that which we know about God, we've denied, we've subjugated that truth in unrighteousness. Whenever I'm teaching or talking about that particular section of scripture, I put it in plain, simple language, which is we love God or we, rather we hate God and love our sin. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's what we've, and so, so that, that leads to the, the abandonment of the moral fiber of society, the, the, the natural depravity of the human heart lends itself to what we see played out in, in societies. <clears throat> Most scholars believe that Paul would write the, the, the letter of Romans from Corinth, right? Uh, and those who study Corinth recognize the debauchery that often took place uh, in that city. In fact, some, someone, if someone was acting uh, immorally, it would say they were acting Corinthian, right? It was a pejorative mm -hmm. back in, in the day. Mm -hmm. And sexual immorality would abound. Even among, even among Christians, the book of Corinthians, we find that, that Paul chastises a church that allowed a son to sleep with his father's wife, his own stepmother. Uh, and the, while the church sat by doing nothing about it, the whole moral fiber of the of what was going on there in Corinth began to uh, you know, unravel. And Paul, thinking about the church in, in Rome, thinking about believers in Rome, would pen what we just read through in, in Romans 1, 18 and following. And so you, you have the, the backdrop of, of moral depravity that that happens in the human heart. And the truth is that all of us, each and every one of us are are keenly aware of, of God uh, as an as an image bearer of him. We're keenly aware of his attributes, of of his righteousness, of his righteous laws and judgments and decrees. But we've we've simply determined that we're going to we're going to subjugate that because we love sin and we hate God. And it lends itself all to what you went through at the very beginning, which Toynbee coined as as the destruction of, of the society in which we live. That's how it disintegrates. Exactly. Thanks for that commentary, uh, Omaha. Yeah, so as we just read, Beaky and Smalley in Reformed Systematic Theology are arguing that the component of our being created in God's image is that we have a divine obligation 
and accountability for obeying God's law. And as we just read, as you just commented on Omaha in Romans one, Paul makes that clear from Romans one that we are inherently aware of what right and wrong is. All right. So we have no excuse. But one of the most egregious examples of our society's repeated attempts to disregard what Beaky and Smalley refer to as our obligation and accountability to God is our incessant efforts to normalize sin, particularly the sin of homosexuality. Now, Omaha, this is the part where I probably start to get in trouble. Yeah, in fact, I kind I kind of want you to walk back through. I mean, what you just, what you just said there was a gut punch. If people kind of get it and think about it, and that's the argument Paul's making, right? That that we we start out with with the simple the simplicity of uh, of ignoring God and and normalizing sin because we love sin and hate God. And there's a that I mean, eighteen uh, Romans one eighteen through thirty thirty two is is you're watching the disintegration of society and culture based upon the condition of the human heart. And you said it there with, with it's our incessant effort to normalize sin. Right. Incessant. Incessant. The effort is incessant. Okay. So let, yeah, let me walk back through that for a second. Let me go back and read, read Romans one, 18 through 20 to just sort of reestablish the context here. Quote, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. That's an act of grace right there. Right. Omaha, God making. Awareness of him and awareness of his standard of righteousness evident to us within our hearts. So for, Paul continues here, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. That is the creation itself testifies to the reality of the existence of God. Paul says, so they, they are without excuse, without excuse. But again, one of the specific ways, one of the specific ways that society has repeatedly attempted to do this, that is to normalize sin, is through federal regulation and by enacting the normalization of sin into law so that any attempts to resist those efforts to legalize such sinful behavior are made subject to legal recourse that is heavily punitive and even retaliatory. Now, this latest attempt, or an example of this latest attempt, is the so-called Equality Act of 2019. Now, the reason we must be specific in referring to this legislation as the Equality Act of 2019 is because this isn't the first time Congress has attempted to pass this kind of legislation into law. In fact, as far back as nearly half a century ago, In 1974, a liberal Democrat congresswoman from New York by the name of Bella S. Abzug, A-B-Z-U-G, Bella Abzug, introduced H.R. 14752, referred to then as the Equality Act, which 
like the Equality Act of 2019, proposed to, and I quote, prohibit under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 discrimination on account of sex, marital status, or sexual orientation in places of public accommodation and under color of state law. It provides for civil actions to the attorney general where there is discrimination on account of sex, marital status, or sexual orientation in public facilities or in public education. That was 1974, as the bill read that was introduced by Bella Abzug. Now, fast forward to today. In the language of the Equality Act of 2019, known also as H.R. 5, not only mirrors the language of the bill that was proposed 45 years ago, but goes much further in its application. I'm going to read from the bill's verbiage, verbatim. I quote, this is from the Equality Act of 2019, H.R. 5. This bill prohibits discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity in areas including public accommodations and facilities, education, federal funding, employment, housing, credit, and the jury system. Specifically, the bill defines and includes sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity among the prohibited categories of discrimination or segregation. I'm still reading from the bill. The bill expands the definition of public accommodations to include places or establishments that provide, one, exhibitions, recreation, exercise, amusement, gatherings, or displays, two, goods, services, or programs, and three, transportation services. The bill allows the Department of Justice to intervene in equal protection actions in federal court on account of sexual orientation or gender identity. The bill prohibits an individual from being denied access to a shared facility, including a restroom, a locker room, and a dressing room that is in accordance with the individual's gender identity, unquote. What I just read to you was language verbatim from H.R. 5, the Equality Act of 2019. But it is that last statement, Omaha, it is that last sentence that I read, particularly the words, quote, in accordance with the individual's gender identity, unquote, that makes the Equality Act of 2019 so dangerous. It is dangerous not only because of the intrinsic and deliberate ambiguity of that language, but also because the whole idea of gender identity is a rejection of what Scripture clearly teaches in Genesis 1.27, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. Now, every person listening to this episode knows this. They know, they know in their heart that there are only two sexes, male and female. But you see, sin has so affected our hearts and minds that apart from Christ, our nature and our way of thinking 
is exactly as the Apostle John describes in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. That text reads this. This is the judgment, John writes. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Apart from Christ, that's who we are by nature, Omaha. We love, as, as you said before, as you said a few minutes earlier, we love to do evil. We love the darkness rather than the light. The Apostle Paul explains why that is in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes this, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. Now, in light of what Paul just said there in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8, a consequence of that is what we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 reads, For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. That's 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And there you have it, Omaha. The primary reason you and I are dedicating an episode of the Just Thinking broadcast to the topic of the Equality Act of 2019 is that there is a group of people who do not believe the truth and who instead would rather take pleasure in wickedness. Any thoughts on that, brother? Man, there's a lot there to, to unpack. Uh, in, in what you said, I think that that last sentence from the bill itself uh, was was jaw dropping, not only the last sentence, but but even even where it's, you know, the the, the prohibitions uh, for segregation based upon categories, sex, sexual orientation, gender. That's foolishness. Mm-hmm. We, we do. We we purpose to to segregate on the basis of. Our, of our gender, of our sex. I mean, th- th- there's purpose in that. Why? Because we're, we're different, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we have different body parts. There's some, there's some protections around, around females that should take place around young, young men. I mean, there's, to ignore that is, is, is to ignore reality, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's that one sentence where, where you have, again, where you have uh, in that one sentence, rather, at the end of, that, of, that, um, of the bill, uh, where you have in accordance with an individual's gender identity. I mean, basically you have in that one sentence, the, the pseudo religious dogma of, of the left or, or of secularist or, or of humanist or whatever, whatever they're calling themselves by whatever label, you know, these days, basically what they're doing is they're, is they're codifying sin into law for the purpose yep. of establishing their own pseudo religious anthropology. Yep. I mean, this is crazy. It's, it's established on the basis of one's instability of their own emotional state, right? They, they have an unstable emotional state, which mm-hmm. is causing them on a daily basis to, to decide, Hey, I'm a male. Maybe I'm going to reject that and become female today, mm-hmm. or, or I'm a female. I'm going to reject that and become 
mail today. And so you're codifying into law someone's emotional state. That's insane. Mm -hmm. It It is insane. It's insane. It's the it's the rejection of God's established standard, the established standard that that, that we find in the scripture to the point you made, Genesis 1 27. But but it, it's the it's the exact same thing that Satan did in Genesis 3, right? Did God really say? Right. You know, it's it's the, it's the asking of a question in an effort to establish doubt. And these and these lawmakers are are, are codifying it. it. It it just it's crazy. Rather than rather than God's decision uh being final. Uh, we're we're reinventing ideas in an effort to to do what we talked about in Romans one eighteen, in order yep. to suppress the truth of God in our unrighteousness. We've absolutely lost our mind. Yeah, and I think, um, and and no pun intended when I say this, I think your use of the word insanity is perfect. It's perfect. There's listen. There's no other way to describe it. Matter of fact, as I was listening to you just then, I was reminded of a text in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 3. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3 reads this, says, This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. That's Ecclesiastes 9.3. The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Unbelievable. So your use of this, the word insanity was, was not only uh, accurate, it was biblical. That's exactly right. But you exactly know, as with sim- Go ahead, Omaha. No, that's exactly how the scripture, the scripture describes us. Yeah. that's how. Mm-hmm. And, and see, we don't want to acknowledge how the scripture describes us. We don't want to acknowledge that. That's why we're talking about this today, essentially, because as with with similar iterations before it, okay, the Equality Act of 2019 is attempting to leverage, or more accurately, hijack the Civil Rights Act of 1964. But the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was based on, and this goes to your point earlier, Omaha, just a second ago, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was based on objective and universal truth, not subjective, abstract, and suppositious realities, like what you were pointing out. Someone basically just deciding on a whim, hey, I think I'll be female today. Well, maybe I'll be male tomorrow. I'll be female the next day. I mean, that's absurd. That's insane. Now, I want to unpack that statement, though, a little bit more. I want to unpack a little bit more my argument that the Equality Act of 2019 is attempting to hijack the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I want to unpack that a little bit more, but in order to do that, I need to give our listeners a brief history lesson on civil rights in this nation. Can I do that? You know, I mean, I feel it necessary since the Equality Act of 2019 purports to expand on the Civil Rights Act. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Civil Rights Act of 1964. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 outlawed discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. It mandated equal access to public places and employment and enforced desegregation of schools and allowed it for the right to vote. Now, although the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to the United States Constitution, also known as the Reconstruction Amendments, all those those amendments outlawed slavery provided for equal protection under the law, 
guaranteed citizenship and protect the right to vote. Individual states continue to allow unfair treatment of blacks and passed what are known as Jim Crow laws, allowing for segregation of public facilities. These laws were upheld by the Supreme Court in the Plessy v. Ferguson case in 1895, which found that state laws requiring racial segregation that were separate but equal to be constitutional. And that finding helped continue legalized discrimination well into the 20th century. But in addition to Jim Crow laws, there were also what were known as the Black Codes. Black Codes were strict laws detailing when, where, and how freed slaves could work and for how much compensation. The codes appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, to take voting rights away, to control where they lived and how they traveled, and to seize their children for purposes of manual labor. And as if Jim Crow and the black codes weren't enough, there was this little-known post-Reconstruction peonage system. Peonage, spelled P-E-O-N-A-G-E. Peonage, also called debt slavery or debt servitude, is a system in which an employer would compel a worker to pay off a debt with labor. Legally, peonage was outlawed by Congress in 1867. However, after Reconstruction, many Southern black men were swept into peonage through different methods, and the system was not completely eradicated until the 1940s. In the South, many black men were picked up for minor crimes and infractions or on trumped up charges. And when faced with staggering fines and court fees, they were forced to work for a local employer who would pay their fines for them. Southern states also leased their convicts in mass to local industrialists. The paperwork and debt record of individual prisons prisoners was often lost and these men found themselves trapped in inescapable situations it is the peonage system that gave rise to the term peon so when you ever heard someone use the word peon think of the peonage system that was in place in the south for almost 80 years after the civil war almost 90 years after the civil war actually now, if you want more background on the peonage system in the South, I would encourage you to read the book entitled Slavery by Another Name, subtitled The Reenslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II. Again, that title is Slavery by Another Name, The Reenslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II by Douglas A. Blackman, B-L-A-C-K-M-O-N. And there's also an excellent PBS doc documentary that is based on the book by Blackman. So get the book by Blackman and then check out the PBS documentary, Slavery by Another Name. Now, the reason I'm talking so much, taking so much time here to give this history lesson to our listeners is not to resurrect the injustices of black people in America. Not doing that. God knows there are enough people doing that already without me helping them out. <laughs> My purpose here is to establish that what primarily influenced the legislative remedies that were put in place 
to write such injustices as slavery, Jim Crow, the black codes and peonage was a realization that equality was inherent to our common identity as human beings who possess certain fixed and immutable characteristics such as ethnicity and sex. An example of this is that during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, many black men would be seen walking in circles in front of restaurants or other establishments that refused to serve black customers wearing what were called sandwich board signs. These sandwich board signs were two-sided placards that you would put on over your head and would rest on your shoulders so that you could walk around with it. And on each side of the placard, it read, in this case, in all caps, all right, these men would walk in circular, slowly walking in front of these, estab these establishments that discriminated against them, wearing these sandwich boards. And on each side of the sandwich board, it read in all caps, I am a man. I am a man. Now, the signs didn't read, I am a black man, or I am a marginalized man, or I identify as a man. No, the signs simply read, I am a man. And in those four short words, those protesters were making the case for Genesis 1:27, and that they like their white counterparts, were also created in the image of God, and that on that basis alone and nothing else, on that basis alone, on the, base, on the basis that they also were created in the image of God, on that basis alone, they were deserving of equal treatment under federal and state law because God's natural law, which is inherent to every human being, as we read earlier in, Ro in Romans 1, required it. God's natural law required that. The problem with the Equality Act of 2019 is that LGBTQ people cannot make that same argument from Genesis 127. And therefore, they cannot claim that gender identity and sexual orientation are matters of civil rights. Because unlike ethnicity and sex, orientation and identity are mutable and changeable not immutable and fixed, such as race, ethnicity, sex. Though the, civil, though, 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 though the Equality Act of 2019, though the Equality Act of 2019 describes itself as, quote, expanding on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, unquote, what it is really attempting to do is imbibe into law preferential rights based not on the common immutable attributes we all share as image bearers of God, but on the basis of the subjective and mutable whims, impulses, and inclinations of an extremely small group of people who have convinced themselves and others that it is actually possible and normal to morph from one quote-unquote identity or quote-unquote orientation to another and with impunity force others under the threat of law to recognize and accommodate their choice of identity or orientation under the threat of severe penalties for not doing so. I mean, look, this is not Ben and Jerry's ice cream where you have 31 flavors of sexual orientation or gender. 
This is God's word declaring that there are only two sexes, two, male and female, two. Any thoughts, Omar? You said a lot there. My hope is that our our listeners go back and uh, and replay, recapture uh, some of that history that you walked us through uh, and, and maybe even go back and look at um, some of the, uh, the the book that you mentioned by Douglas A. Blackman, Slavery by Another Name, uh, The Reenslavement of Black Americans in the Civil War, uh, to war, from the Civil War to World War II, as well as that that PBS documentary, those, those are important. Those are important things to know. And, and you and I, and, and I know, especially you with, with the fast library that you have about the issue of slavery, we, neither of us shy away from the reality that that took place. Right. Um, neither one of us, you know, want to, want to ignore that, pretend it didn't happen. Uh, but, but in, in establishing that as a basis and looking at how, and why things were fought for in the manner that they were, we always point to the fact that the standard upon which to argue uh, and, and, and defend those things are biblical positions on the basis of immutable factors Bingo. that we Bingo. all are image bearers of God Bingo. Of, you know, and created for, for, for distinct value, dignity, and, and worth. I want to go back to something you said, though, about the civil rights uh, movement. Uh, and and you know the the cause that it, that is established uh, on the basis of those immutable aspects of our of our humanity, uh, it it argued for equal treatment uh, upon that basis. Something that we all share the fact that we're all male and or female. Here's the thing that 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 strikes me with regard to the the inequality act is really what we should be calling it. Yeah, all of the protections that were necessary were available under the Civil Rights Act and unnecessary for these, these, these mutable factors, these changeable factors. They, mm -hmm. Men and women were protected. Their access was protected. Their, mm -hmm. their equality of, of, of ability to go places, jobs, everything that voting, everything that they wanted. There's no one who's claiming a different gender identity than their biological identity. None of them are being kept from being able to vote, being able to go to school, being able to do any. There's no aspect of human life that's unavailable or inaccessible to them uh, because they're all equally afforded to us on those immutable factors. The fact mm -hmm. that we're all image bearers uh, created mm -hmm. in the image of God. So again, when I think about the civil rights, I'm, 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 ra I'm ranting. So let me stop. I, when I think about, about the civil rights movement, I also think about the abolition of slavery, mm -hmm. right? Because it mm -hmm. was fought on that same basis, whether, whether yep. it, was it was Frederick Douglass, whether it was William Lloyd Garrison, Harriet Beecher Stowe, which you talked about in previous episode, uh, even more radical men like John Brown or women like Harriet Tubman, all of them, made their arguments on the same Genesis 127 basis. They yep, found, yep. all of them found uh, for the abolition of slavery on the basis of the Imago Dei, right? Yep. None of these people were desiring protected status or additional rights on the basis of any standard that did not apply equally to all other people, right? It was upon that, it was upon that basis that Sojourner Truth who, who escaped slavery in 1827 was known uh, for her speech that said, ain't I a woman, right? Bingo, bingo. And it, it was, she, she was she arguing for, based upon the Imago Dei. Her desire was to be treated with the same standard that all men and women, regardless of their color, had been treated. 
right? Yep. And her, her, her petition was not on the basis of an emotional, you mentioned it before, Ben and Jerry's 31 flavors approach right. to some ever-changing standard of how she felt on, the de- on, on a given day, but it was based upon the biblical standard of being an image bearer of God. I mean, that, that's, that's, where, that's, where it, that's where it should be. That's been the standard by which all of these things that we desire to codify into law are based. They're based upon the objective standard of God and, and his, his order of identity. Amen, Omaha, man. That was beautiful, man. Thanks for that input. Because again, you know, I, I want to go back to something I said just a minute ago. The entire civil rights movement, the entire, listen, why do you think, let's talk about this whole slavery thing real quick. Why do you think a slave just instinctively tried to escape? Why would a slave instinctively? No one would have to teach a slave what enslavement was. No one would have to instruct a slave on how to, I guess, compartmentalize the reality that he or she is a slave. Slaves try to escape because of Romans 1. <laughs> they, they didn't have to actually know how to read. They knew that. They, Romans 1 proved a reality inherent within them. They knew that, wait a minute, this isn't right. I am a man. I am a woman. I know this. I know this. And this isn't right. Frederick Douglass said once, he said, I prayed for, now Frederick Douglass, people forget that Frederick Douglass was a slave at one mm-hmm. point. Matter of fact, when he escaped and established himself as an orator and educator, people refused to believe that he was once a slave because he was so well-spoken and so well-read. But Frederick Douglass said this once, he said, I prayed for one, he, he, he said, I prayed for 20 years. I prayed for 20 years, but I received no answer until I prayed with my legs. I'm going to let my our listeners hang on to that one. They'll figure that one out in a minute. He said, I prayed for 20 years, but I received no answer until I prayed with my legs. But again, going back to the civil rights movement of, 20, uh, of, uh, of the 60s and 20th century, it was on the basis of Genesis 127, the Omago Day, that those black men and black women wore those sandwich board signs. I am a man. I am a woman. Not a black man. They didn't say I was a marginalized man. They didn't add adjectives to that. There was no need to. And it was only on that basis of Genesis 127 that they protested for equal rights because of uniform, common, immutable attributes that all of humanity shares. Well, this will wrap up part one of our conversation. Tune in next week for part two. 